Uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into it. Lord God, wherever we are on our journey, whatever our understanding of you is, increase it this morning. Whatever our experience of church has been up to this point, um, take us to a deeper level of engagement and joy and enthusiasm and commitment as we serve your body. And whatever our experience of each other has been, whether this is the first time we've met people as we've walked in the door or we've been part of this community for 50 years, whatever it is, Lord, may, may our experience of life together get deeper this morning. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. So uh, this is the time of year when churches look at what's going to happen next year. We cast vision. We think about the future. And often they're very long and they're complicated and they're compelling and they're cool and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, I came across a little video uh, online that uh, captures what I think our, um, our mission is and our vision is. And we showed it last week. We're going to show it again because it's just really fantastic. I shared the link to it in the email update uh, and also on our app. So um, let's have a watch and a think about our life together what God wants us to do. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Did you like that one? Huh? How about it? Did you like that one? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, hmm, you know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There are not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I like all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and then everybody went out and healed a few, and cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now, that's pathetic, isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it, we sang about it, we preached about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. Mm. 
Didn't he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book and acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. We're qualified. And we understand that it can be done. Uh, so, um, look, I'm a bear of little brain. Life's pretty simple. And if you said to me, what does God want us to do as a community? Um, this is our vision, uh, right? It's, uh, it's quite memorable and it's not hard. It's just do the stuff. That was John Wimber, by the way, if you want to check him out. He was, this was at a conference he spoke at in 1985. And uh, God used Wimber in all kinds of ways around the world to challenge the church and equip the church and do all kinds of good things. So that's it. And last week we looked at, well, what is the sort of stuff that we're called to do? And, and if you missed that, you can go onto our website or onto our app and download the sermon and listen to it and, and think about, well, what does it mean? And we looked at doing the stuff required us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, so uh, that's important, right? Doing the stuff. Um, we also then thought of, we, we thought a lot about that, and and the challenge is to say, well, you've got to. Each of us is responsible for our own response to God, right? So, God is going to call you to do His stuff in different ways that He's going to call me, because we have different workplaces, different families, and so doing the stuff is not just about doing the stuff here on a Sunday though it is that as well. It's about doing the stuff Monday to Saturday. It's like, okay, as you go out into your work, as you raise your kids, as you're in your marriage, as your neighbors, as your friends, as you're involved in community groups and political organizations and workplaces, how do you do the stuff that Jesus wants you to do in those places? And uh, this morning, what I wanted us to think about as we keep going through 1 Corinthians uh, is this really simple, it's a really, really simple idea and, uh, and the idea is this from, from the second part, uh, is that we are to do the stuff. How are we to do it? We're to do it together. Right? Um, that that, that you gotta, we've, we're a, we've got to work together to change the world. That we are inextricably bound together in relationships. Like you that's all there is in life is actually that, that really lasts and that matters is relationships. I mean, we all came into this world as a result of a relationship, right? Fundamentally. And, and if, you, if you strip down, if you slowly do a thought exercise and you, you slowly get rid of everything around you, what you'll, what you'll end up with being is just a being in relationship. You've always got this kind of relational connection. You came from your parents. Maybe you have kids. That's what's ultimate. And it's true for church. And so 1 Corinthians uh, is a great, um, 
a great book to help us with this. And again, the notes, if you want to follow along, are on our church app, um, doing the stuff together. And what I find fascinating, and it's a, it's a really simple uh, talk, is the first point we want to make um, in this text, right, is uh, point number one is where one body in a divided world. Um, we are... Uh, here's how humans work. We have a need to connect with each other, and we also have a need to be separate from each other. Right? So we're not an amorphous blob of undifferentiated ego and body, like we're just not a blip, a blob. Uh, but we're also not single, solitary little atoms bumping around, never connecting, just existing. We are this unique creation where we are separate but together. And therein lies our life. And at various points in organizations and families and cultures, the forces of separateness become very strong, don't they? And they divide us. And we lose our inherent connectedness. And uh, that was what was going on in the early church in Corinth when Paul wrote this letter. This church had become profoundly divided. And it was divided around following particular leaders. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow these other great leaders. And so you had these people who were starting to get, you know, find their allegiance and their belonging around particular people rather than Jesus. And that was dividing them. And they existed in a culture that was massively divided. Now, we think we live in a divided culture, don't we? And in one sense, we do. So um, one of the phenomena of our online world is that the way to get fame and but influence in our culture is to um, actually build division and show how this other person who is different to you is a profoundly terrible bad person and is oppressing you, attacking you, marginalizing you. So you occupy a place of victimhood that elevates your status and your power, and then you show how the other, whoever that might be, is now oppressing you and is a terrible person and a terrible individual. There's a great book I'm reading at the moment that explains this and goes into it in and excruciating, uh, and I mean excruciating in that it's painful to read the examples. Now, it's a, it's a, it's a book called The Madness of Crowds, and uh, The Madness of the Crowd. And we've gone mad. We divide, we divide, and the online world helps that division. You, we don't, in, in the online world, you don't find influence and popularity and fame by thinking the best of each other and building common ground. You find it by making the other out to be all bad and building your own platform as a result. But, you know, we are not, nowhere near as divided as the city of Corinth was and the city of Rome was and the, the cities in the ancient world because they lived with this divide between um, uh, Jews and Gentiles. Now, unless you've grown up in, a Jewish, in an observant Jewish family, you don't know even to, you don't know, how, you don't, we don't have a clue how profound that divide was. This was a divide that in the community of these people had existed for like, you know, 1,500 years. Jews and Gentiles don't mix. You stay separate. Um, Gentiles are other. You're not to marry them. You're not to go into business with them. You're not to have anything to do with them. You're not to eat with them. You're not to socialize with them. They, they will make you unclean. And uh, Jews were regarded by the Gentiles as just a strange, weird sect in the Roman Empire, right? 
massive, 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 massive religious divide. And now Jews and Gentiles across this divide had, had become followers of Jesus and joined the church. So now they're all sitting around in a group like this, maybe 20 or 30 people, and in that group are trying to overcome a millennia-old division that completely ruled their lives. That's big, hey? That makes a little war on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram look like nothing. <laughs> and then there was a divide, you see, between slaves and free. Uh, and uh, that, now that's a divide. In the Roman Empire, if you, you know, that was an unbridgeable divide socioeconomically. Human rights. I mean, they were two, almost like two different orders of being. And you didn't mix, you didn't socialize, you didn't eat together. One group owned the other group. And now what's happened in the church? Some slaves have become followers of Jesus. Some of their owners have become followers of Jesus. And they're all sitting around in a group like this trying to get along and do the stuff together. That's a challenge. So then you think about us as a church family. We're different. But we're not that different. We've got some divisions in our broader church family that, God willing, will be healed and resolved. And sometimes we think they're very massive, but compared to this, they're not. They're like, what? Just what it is. Nothing like this. And in this, Paul goes to say to the Corinthians, you've got to do the stuff, people. You've got to live for Jesus. And here's what you've got to understand. You've got to do the stuff together. And fundamentally what matters in this divided world, our reality is that we are a body. We actually are united. And we're a body, uh, we're one, one body, not on the basis of our ethnicity, or our socioeconomic status, or our following of a particular leader. What makes us one body? Jesus, that's the right answer for everything in church. Would you like milk with your coffee? Jesus. No, we've, we, we've been baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. We were all given the one spirit to drink. So the spirit of God is poured out on us. And as we talked about last week, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you have the spirit of Jesus. You have, you have the life of God in you. And he says, that's what makes us one. Now, I want to think a little about that, right? And, and, and the perspective to hold, I think, is not just us as a local congregation, but actually think about the body of Jesus in the whole city of Sydney. Like, that's a cool thing to think about. So we are, there's a oneness, there's a unity, all those who follow Jesus, that, that we are one and, and we're to do the stuff together as a whole body. So the Anglicans and the Baptists and the Pentecostals and the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox and, um, you know, every, and the brethren and, and any group of people who go, yeah, Jesus is Lord and I've received the Spirit. Now you go, yeah, we're part of the body and we're, we're to do the stuff together. That's the plan. Um, and now it's a wonderful plan. It's hard, isn't it, though? It's, you, you immediately start thinking about all the things that make us different. And we're here, we're not in a 
Pentecostal church or a Catholic church or a Brethren church. We're here in this church. And it, and, but it's important to, to say, no, no, actually, if, if we have the Spirit, we're part of this thing, the body of Christ. Uh, but we've got to live it out here. So let's, let's, we, can't, we can't fix or think about other groups. But if we think about our group, we go, wow, this is amazing. So when you and I, when we work together to do the stuff, um, we have to do it knowing that we're, we're not just a club. We're a group who are immersed in the Holy Spirit. That's our unity, right? That's where our oneness comes from, the Holy Spirit, who draws us into the mission of Jesus. Um, and then he goes, well, okay, so one, one tendency then is if, if you go, well, we're all baptized in the Spirit, is to say, well, the oneness has to triumph. And he says, no, no, um, even so the one body, and here's where Paul introduces this wonderful metaphor of the body, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So we're a body made up of many parts. So lest we start thinking, well, we've joined a cult, and everybody's got to be just the same, right? If, if you just follow along with me, if you just could all put your head on, hand on your head just for a moment, just if you do this. Now say after me. We are not a cult. <laughs> we're not. We're, we're a body and we're different. We have many parts. We have many parts. And that is something to be celebrated and released and empowered and enjoyed. And if we're going to do the stuff Every bit of the body needs to work together, doesn't it, if we're going to do it well? When, when the body doesn't work well, um, when one part of the body doesn't work, the whole body is affected. Now, uh, and what I find interesting here is, is, is this is our second point, where many parts in a united whole, where not belonging is not an option. See what it says here, verse 15, it's fascinating. It takes this image of a body. Imagine if your foot, your foot can't say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. I think um, I, what I find, I find this really quite interesting here, that um, sometimes we can feel our belonging is dependent on being like others and having the same kind of profile or gift mix. And we go, well, if I'm not like that, I'm not really part of it, am I? And, uh, and that's a mistake, according to Paul. I mean, in our context, and it's hard, right? Um, it could be if I'm not you know, white, educated, and wealthy... I'm not part, I can't be part of this body. Um, or actually, probably even more determining if I'm not educated and wealthy, actually. <laughs> I'm not part of it. And, and Paul goes, no, 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 our, our belonging is not determined by these externalities. You can't just go, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I fit here because I'm not quite like everyone else. You go, no, don't think like that. It's a mistake. You, you, you're here, we belong because... We have the Holy Spirit together and we're doing the stuff for Jesus. Um, 
you might go, ah, because I'm, I don't know, because I'm not an extrovert, <laughs> or I'm not an evangelist, or I'm not something else. You go, no, 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 belonging is, not belonging is not an option based on your own self-perception and externalities, because everybody has a part to play, right? Um, and that's important. That's important. Uh, which takes us straight to our second point, that um, these, these parts, and this is really important, that um, to do this stuff together, to change the world, we have to understand that God has sovereignly ordered this reality, right? Uh, God has placed parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So there's a few implications of this, right? When you think that you shouldn't be part of the body because you're not a particular thing or where you feel undervalued with what you, the contribution you have to make or um, envious of another person's contribution. At one level, God wants to say to you, you know, I've just made you to be you and I want you to use what you've got. I want you to be you to build the body and, and I've made, I've got a role for you. I've got a plan for you. And that's hard because, uh, I'll, I'll tell you why it's hard. It's, it's hard for all kinds of reasons, right? Um, uh, here's one of the reasons it's hard. Um, I mean, we, every, every group uh, has a social hierarchy, right? Oh, we're social beings. And in our natural earthly state, do you know what? We are uh, biologically and genetically hardwired to work out very quickly where we sit on the social hierarchy. Okay. Am I here? 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 Where am I? So um, you come into a group and you look up at this and you've got to figure out where do I sit? Whenever you join a group in the natural order of things, it's really important to work that out. And, uh, and our, your, your survival historically would depend on it, right? So when you join a group, what you don't want to do is pick a fight with someone who's got more power in the hierarchy than you have because it's not going to work out well for you. So we are extremely attuned to status, Right? extremely attuned to this. What can happen in churches, unless we're honest about this and we find a different way of being, is we, can, we, we operate in the same way when we come into a church. And that's what was happening in the church in Corinth. Status was becoming incredibly important. And, and at one level, we all get it. You understand uh, biologically in terms of evolution and where we're at, how, where we fit in the hierarchy matters. But, but actually, you know what? The Bible says that's not how to think. It's in, in the church, that has to absolutely fundamentally be uh, repented of and transformed and redeemed because, you know what? One of the, one of the problems in the, when, when we think like this, right, is, um, is we confuse uh, prominence uh, versus importance, right? 
So we judge social hierarchies based on the prominence of the individual. But actually in the body, when you change the metaphor and say, you know what? Actually, instead of a, a ladder with a social hierarchy, um, what you've really got, and I'm going to try and draw this over the top of this, what you've really got is a, is a body, right? And in this body, everyone plays their part. Okay, you see why I'm not a good... Okay, so if you take that as a, as a model, what you've got to do when you look at the body is say, well, what part am I? And the social hierarchy, you might go, I'll take prominence. And, you know, if you're um, perhaps like me in my ethnic background, uh, as an Ashkenazi Jew, you have particular prominence around one's face. You, know, you have a big nose. And, we can, and our nose is a prominent, Right? And you go, ah, oh. now, now in a social hierarchy, you go, oh, the nose really matters. Or in this context, my mouth is very prominent. My verbal facility and f uh, ability is prominent in the life of this community right now. But is it really important? Like, do you really want to be the nose? Like, climbing the social hierarchy is like saying, I want to be the nose of the body, because everybody sees the nose. And you powder your nose, and you polish your nose, and you might even get your nose reshaped. Um, but, but right down here, maybe there's a little organ just here, and, uh, and maybe this is the pancreas. Let me ask you, which is more important in the functioning of a body, a nose or a pancreas? The pancreas. Which is more prominent, the nose or the pancreas? Nobody comes and says, wow, you've got a really striking pancreas. I love the profile of your pancreas. It's so photogenic. It looks just great on Instagram. No one goes in for plastic surgery to get a pancreas job. I just need to get it reshaped so it looks a little better and, you know. But it's unbelievably important. How long can you live without a nose? It's really not going to affect you that much. Chop it off. You'll be right. Might look a little weird. I'm sure it'll have some effect. How long can you live without a pancreas? Not very long. Any medicos in the house? Liz, how long can you live without a pancreas? Put you on the spot. Not very long. You die pretty quickly. So when we join the church, you know what? When you come into a community like this, we've got to think about like, the, the absolute importance of every part of the body and not be caught up in, and actually not just not be caught up, we have to resist strongly the, the orientation to judge ourselves and others on the basis of just a worldly social hierarchy. And we have to see each other as members of the body. Um, when you stub your toe, the whole body knows about it, doesn't it? Every part is important. And, and, if every, and if we're not all doing our job and playing our part, then the functioning and the, the ability of the whole body to do its stuff is severely limited. Um, so, so this is what it says. Um, God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So this is the thing. You might be sitting, you may be, you are sitting here today and you're going, well, I'm just a pancreas. But I, man, I, the world only values noses. 
And the pancreas gets no notice from the world. Guess what? The pancreas gets a lot of notice from God. It says, um, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. In a culture obsessed with social hierarchy and status, God says, I'm going to pay particular attention to the faithful contributing members of the body who are low on the worldly status hierarchy. The people who are nothing, who have nothing to contribute, who just they, they just play their part with humility and servanthood and are overlooked by the world because they're not prominent. God says, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pay great attention to you. This is what I always think about it. I don't think God needs to honor me much at all in my role in the body. Because I get a lot, I get a lot of prominence. I get a lot of honor. I'm up here on the stage. I'm using my teaching gifts, and you know. But what about everybody else who's looking around, running after someone else's kids? No one cares about that. What about the people who do the vacuuming up afterwards? What about what about the person who just has kind words to say to someone in their small group or at coffee or just picks up the phone during the week to call. You might notice someone today who's just a little down and a little stressed and you just pick up the phone and you say, hey, you know, how are you doing? I just want to pray for you. No one will ever notice that. You may never get on the stage such as it is. <laughs> and God says, I'm going to give you special honor. I'm going to give you special honor. Um, think about it this way. We don't, if you've ever been in church with um, someone with an intellectual handicap, maybe you're a Down syndrome adult and, and you're never going to have any prominence on a social hierarchy, but you're part of the body of Jesus. I'd say verse 24 applies to that sort of person. You go, Someone who, in a worldly sense, has nothing to offer except themselves. But in the body, God's going to give them great honor. Like, that matters. And, uh, and gosh, we need to work so hard against, we're so hard to live this out and embrace this because everything in our culture pushes us to value prominence on a social hierarchy, not the body. So uh, that's what Paul says. And then what he says is, um, you know what, as we do our bit, sovereignly ordered, there's a radical interdependence, isn't there? Uh, there's a radical interdependence. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Like we're actually made to work together. We're so connected. You stub your toe, the whole body hurts. That's what we want to be. In most of the world, when someone else fails, you and I take a slight bit of joy in their failure, don't we? Now, you, you won't admit that in polite company, but you know what it's like. Um, I'll project as a parent now from my particular context. When, when someone else's kid doesn't do particularly well in the HSC and they were all talking them up, and like we had, we've had friends over the over many years. We've seen this. Well, my son's going to be a doctor. My daughter's going to be a lawyer. And 
and then they don't get into those courses and something goes wrong and, it, and now I'd hate to admit this and I'm not and I'm talking about someone else here. Um, there can be just a little bit of you that goes, yes, ooh, schadenfreude, this perverse delight in the downfall and the pain and the diminishment of someone else because they're, they're sliding down the social hierarchy and I feel like that's good because if they're sliding down, maybe there's space for me a little bit further up. And that feels great, doesn't it? And there's a little bit of, oh, that kid's done really well. Oh, oh better than mine. I feel bad then. And I, I feel a little sad when they are full of joy. Now, that's a terrible way of thinking. And, of course, uh, you would never think about that in any context about anyone else. When the, the turkey you hated work gets promoted and you get fired, uh, can you rejoice with them? in their promotion. That's hard, right? But that's the kind of radical mutuality that God sets out for the church. When we abandon social hierarchy thinking and we embrace body thinking, that's what starts to happen. Let me tell you, the pancreas does not rejoice when the liver does its job well. The eye does not feel sad uh, when the biceps are in great form. Everyone's happy when everyone's happy, and when anyone suffers, everyone suffers. And that's how the church should work. Now, uh, that's not easy to do, is it? And I've been, I, I don't know, I've been speaking about this and teaching this kind of material for all the time I've been doing the job that I do, which is, I know, 25 years. And um, I feel like sometimes we only get glimpses of this. But it's worth, it's, don't ever get cynical about the church. It's easy to get cynical. But we've got an opportunity as we do the stuff to say, we can be different. Like, we can actually start to relate to each other like this. We can build this kind of community. Here's some practical things that it takes. To do, build this kind of community, um, we have to embrace our role and our difference in it. And this is what Paul says. He goes into a whole spiel here about spiritual gifts um, and our contributions. And, um, uh, and here we have him. He says, if we're going to be in the body in this way, um, you've got to understand in the church God has placed, given us different people to do different things, apostles, prophets, teachers. Then he's given miracles, healings, gifts of help and guidance, and all kind, different kinds of tongues. And you go, that's wonderful, isn't it? So we want to be a church where as we live out this body interdependence, each of us has gifts and roles that we're called to play. And so we should. Now, some of these are, uh, let me back up. These, some of these are miraculous, so-called miraculous gifts, right? And sometimes we can struggle with those. Um, but I think if the church is to be the church, we've got to have apostles. So you say, what's an apostle? Well, an apostle is somebody who, uh, in, in my understanding as I read the scriptures, is somebody who has a, a vision for the body of Christ beyond just the local congregation, but whom God uses to build up the whole body of Christ and is used in that way to, to, to encourage and bless and raise up leaders and churches around the place. And it's one of the things that, you know, I think is, is missing in our church. Uh, you know, this heart for the bigger kingdom 
and the bigger body of Christ. I do a bit of it, but we can do more to say, you know, there's a whole wide, beautiful world out there of churches that we need to support and encourage. Prophets. What's the gift of prophecy? Well, again, there's debate on this, but prophecy, simply put, is is when you, uh, if you are somebody who is particularly good at receiving messages from God that you could not otherwise have known and received and being able to pass those on to others to build them up and encourage them and bring God's truth to them. And you say, how do I know if I've heard a word from God? How do I know if I'm a prophet? Well, you give it a go. How do I know if, if what I should say comes from God? Well, the, the typical way God speaks to us is through the, the thoughts in our heads. Now, we often, we often think God can only speak to us through audible words, which is silly, right? Because uh, verbal communication doesn't have to be spoken out loud for it to be a, a, a word. Like thoughts are just unverbalized acts of communication. So I have a thought. I don't necessarily say it, but the thought is still a bit of communication. And God can place his thoughts in our minds as his word because God is spirit. He doesn't have a voice to speak uh, in this world in the way we have. And he says, you know what? A prophet is somebody who gets really good at saying, which thought in my head at the moment could be from God and could be brought to bear to encourage others? And you'll, God will communicate stuff to you in that way that you couldn't have known uh, just from the natural domain. Um, so we're prophets, right? Teachers. I guess, you know, that's, a, that's an easy gift to role to recognize. I'm a teacher. How about miracles? Doing stuff that is inexplicable in the natural domain, in healing and deliverance and freedom. We need that. We need healing, right? Gifts of healing for the church. Because um, there's just a lot of pain and brokenness. And that's good to, to have. You read the Gospels, you see Jesus is all about healing. And guidance and different kinds of tongues. So... Um, what does that mean for us as a church? Well, we are a church, aren't we? We're the body of Christ where we believe this is still applicable to us today, yeah? Uh-huh. Here's how I describe us. I like to think of us as an Anglicostal church. <laughs> um, the other way I like to describe us is just a Christian church because <laughs> I think this is just what it is to be authentically Christian. Now, it may, you know, and, and there are wonderful examples of churches where this is just what happens. Um, uh, what could get in the way of this? So I'll tell you, here's a bit of reflection on my own gifts and, and inabilities. Um, God's given me a bunch of gifts, right? So I'm the rector of the church. I get to lead us in many ways. Um, my, my primary spiritual gifts are teaching and evangelism and knowledge. So I love teaching people. I love, I love, I love helping people come to know Jesus. You, you know, in, in any context, I can turn conversations around and get people thinking about Jesus and bring them to, to, to faith. Like it's, I love that. And knowledge, I love ideas. I love learning. I love thinking. Um, leadership, like bringing people along. But you know what I'm not gifted at? I mean, I have lots of things I don't have, I'm not gifted to do, right? I'll tell you one that is my most, my biggest cause, the cause of biggest frustration and probably limitation on my ministry. Um, I don't really have the gift of organization. 
you're not to laugh too loudly at that, but, but I just don't, right? So I, I have the vision, I can see where it's got to go, but actually organizing and making it work, I'm really not that good at that. And that's really frustrating. Uh, should that be a cause of misery? Well, no, it just means we need other people who've got gifts of organization, like Liz, and, and some of you sitting in the chairs to help do the organizing to make it work. But you can't wait for me to organize everything. Because... So when I think about how do we release these gifts, how do we live out this vision, we need each other to organize. We need each other to teach. We need each other to pray. We need each other to heal. We need each other to do miracles. We need each other to prophesy. We need each other to speak in tongues. We need each other to show gifts of compassion and mercy. And we've got to find ways of bringing this out as a community. And I can do my bit. I can tell you what it could look like. I can explain how we can get there. <laughs> but then we've got to work together to get there because I'm not going to organize it because that's not something I'm particularly good at. And I could resist that and I could be angry with it, but I go, that's just, that's okay. It means we've got to be interdependent and work together. So that's all I'm thinking about. So um, there we go. Uh, I'm quite, ex- I don't know, I'm quite excited about this vision of church. Like, I don't know, I've been doing this for 25 years and I still go, Lord, there is nothing else in the world quite like this this kind of vision of this kind of community full of the Spirit of God. So going forward, um, let's do the stuff together. Find out what, what has God gifted you to do? What are you passionate about? What are the needs that you can meet? And then let's do it. And let's change the world. And let's have a lot of fun while we do it. Because <laughs> it, it should be fun, right? It should be good. There should be joy in this. I'm just thinking about it. It all looks very serious out there. I tell you, because you're deep, deeply experiencing God in the moment and you're under conviction and you're processing and you're like, hmm, okay, let's, <laughs> let's pray and then we're going uh, to worship. In the, uh, Lord God, thanks that you love us. And I pray for our, our church that this 1 Corinthians vision of doing the stuff together. You'll help us do that, Lord. Um, you, you sovereignly decided not to make me a brilliant organizer, and that really I, f- I found very annoying, but probably a lot less annoying than many other people around me for many years. Um, so, Lord, we need organizers. But more than that, but as well as that, Lord, we need prophets here to hear from you and speak to our community. We need all the gifts, Lord. We need, we need people with gifts of helps and service and healing, Lord. Gosh, we need, we need the gift of healing to be released here. Uh, Lord, I pray for more people to speak in tongues and pray for that to be a regular part of our piety and our engagement and connection with you. We pray, Lord, that out of this church you'll raise up uh, apostles, people who have a heart for, for the, the body of Christ in the whole city and in the world and maybe who has, maybe can, can just encourage church leaders in all sorts of places around the city and around the world. And pray for all these gifts, Lord. Just, uh, just release them and, and take us on a great, wonderful, exciting journey as a church family to live this out. Uh, there's great unity, 
baptized in the one spirit with beautiful diversity, all working together in one body. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.